Well, good evening. Welcome visitors. You're not as tired as we are. And I'm not as tired as the counselors and campers. Open your Bibles up, if you'd be willing, to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. I'm going to have you flipping uh, just to a couple of passages this evening that I want to share with you. I want you to look at, uh, kind of personal, I've had a phenomenal week this week, I think. Really good week. And um, I want to sh shift over in the book of Revelation. We do, um, uh, we're doing some studies, and I'm studying currently uh, through two different books. Um, kind of been studying in the Gospel according to John over the last several years. And we're also added in, we've also added in the book of Revelation. And that kind of came about just through my own personal uh, exploration and Bible study. Just really been interested in the book and wanted to come to grips with the message and and so I just began to study it, and so we've just uh, been kind of incorporating it in what we've been sharing. Uh, I want to center in with you this, more, uh, this evening uh, into this first chapter, and specifically, uh, the reason we've came, come to these verses tonight, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, is it fits, it just, it's so, it fits so well with the theme of what we've been looking at this week. And if I could catch everybody up in just a couple statements, and it would be a rehasher kind of for those of us who have been here, we are interested, are you with me? Really important statement. We are interested in these days in being Christians over against doing Christian things. That's really important for me. You will not make it. I'm just going to be really honest with you. And you've heard me say this several times this week. You will not make it out of high school as a Christian. You will not make it out of high school and you will not continue to go church to go to church if all you're doing is Christian activities and practices and living by rules. You will not make it. I'm telling you. The only chance you've got in these days is to be the real deal person that God has called you to be. Now we've used a number of illustrations and, and not just illustrations that I've made up. We've used a bunch of illustrations to describe this, and I want to propose to you that this is the message of the book of Revelation. And we're going to get to that in a second. But one of the illustrations that I've used is out of the Gospel of John. And we looked at um, a, a, a kind of a, a comparison and contrast between a couple of Greek words used in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5 and throughout the whole book of John, there are two Greek words that are translated the same way. They're used all over the place. Those two Greek words are translated do. Okay? They're translated do. And it's for the doing of things. Uh, you, you, you read in the English translation of John, uh, the book of John how Jesus does things, his father does things, how people do things, there are all these activities that are done. What you may not know, again, there's two different Greek words that describe that doing. One Greek word that we looked at is the Greek word, anybody remember? Poieo, and the other one is proso. Bunch of Greek people. Proso and poieo. And proso, we looked at that word, that word proso is not used to describe the things that Jesus does. In terms of ministry, in terms of lifestyle, Christian characteristics kind of thing. Proso is not used for, to describe that. Uh, proso describes just simply activities that are done. I went to church. I mowed the lawn. I hung out with teens. I went to the gym. Okay, That kind of stuff. Proso, used to describe just activities. 
Poieo is altogether different. Poieo is used to describe the things that the Father does and that Jesus does. When Jesus says, whatever my Father does, whatever my Father poieos, I poieo. You hear me on this? Whatever my Father poieos, I poieo. Whatever my Father does, I, I do. And that word's poieo. And you say, well, what does poieo mean? Well, poieo in secular Greek in this day and age, it's used to describe how trees do fruit. We've looked at that all week. How trees do fruit. And you would look at me and say, dude, trees don't do fruit. You know, trees don't get up in the morning and say, oh, I forgot all about those apples. I got to get that done. And they crank out the apples through the day. Trees just don't do fruit. It's because of the inward nature of what's going on in the tree, in their due season, they will produce fruit. Therefore, if you know that that tree is an apple tree, even before you see fruit, if that tree is an apple tree, you know that in its season, it's going to produce apples. It's not going to produce pears. Because it's not something that it does, it's who it is. Listen to me, really significant. Jesus says, what I do is a direct result of what's spilling out of me. It's not just activities. Why are you, hey, if you were to ask Jesus, and it's not all the correct language, but if you were to ask Jesus what makes you a Christian, he would not say stuff like, I go to church on Sunday. He would not say stuff like, well, because I read my Bible. Because that's proso kind of language. What Jesus says is what's ever going on inside of the Father that makes him do what he does, that's what's going on inside of me that makes me do what I do. And I want that. I want that. So what we're talking about in terms of Christianity is not just doing different things, it's being different people. I want you to walk out of this service tonight and say, I feel different. I want you to walk out of this week at camp and come home and look at your mom and dad and say, hey, I'm a different person. Oh, you mean you made some new decisions? No, I am a different person. I feel different. I see different. And there's going to be areas of your life that God's going to speak to you about and you're going to say, I want to see different. I want to feel the way that he feels and see the way that he sees and laugh at the things that he would laugh at and be on the same page that he is on. I want something going on just beneath the surface, beyond activities. We call that Christianity. The book of Revelation, how this fits into that, is what Revelation is, and I guess it's just elementary, but if, this, if I were to describe the book of Revelation to you, what I would say is that Genesis was the story of the creation of man, God's intent and will of man, Will for man when he created him, and man fell into sin. He started saying what to God? No. Started rebelling against God. No. I want to do my own thing. And he fell into sin. From there to the book of Revelation, you have the unfolding events of the movement of God and his redemption. God didn't cut Adam loose in his race, but God sought out to redeem him. And so the book of Revelation is the is is the end of the plan it's this is how it this is how it ends everything that god set out to accomplish in your redemption and my redemption is found complete right here if you want to know how it ends you look at it everything that god set out to accomplish is found complete in the book of revelation now got all that man you look tired okay chapter one we've taken the book of revelation just really quick working uh, details uh and we talked about saturation this week and i'm really interested in talking to you more about that tomorrow as well, but we take we took the book of Revelation, and before I started preaching in it, I saturated in it for a year, 
And that's just digging into it every single day, just working over that thing, just, you know, hey, manipulating it, calling uh, Pastor Mark and Pastor Solomon and, and just getting all their information on it because that's where I get my sermons anyway, and just going after that thing and studying it and dissecting it and just going after it and just really, hey, saturating it for one year. And I worked up a couple uh, outlines. The basic outline would be the book of Revelation is divided up into three sections. How many? Three, three sections. The first section is the first chapter. And it's an introductory kind of a chapter. In other words, everything going on in the first chapter is for the purpose of introducing first section. You might say, well, uh, you know, who is this introduction to? That's the second section. And that's in chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches in the province of Asia. So chapter 1 is an introduction to these seven churches. And you would say, well, what's being introduced? Oh, that's the third section. And that's from chapter 4 to the end of the book, which is actually the prophecy itself. Okay, that's kind of the opening outline. Okay, chapter one, introduction to the seven churches in the province of Asia of what's going to take place in the prophecy. So the prophecy is being introduced. Now, we took this first introduction and we divided it up. A lot of divisions. And we divided this up into four sections. And they all start with P, so I can easily remember them. Verses one through three is called the prologue. It's introductory, uh, introductory kind of stuff for the book. Verses 4 and 5, the middle of verse 5, so we call it 5a, is the persons section, where the persons of our Godhead are introduced. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're introduced in verses 4 and 5a. So you have the, pers uh, you have the prologue and the persons. Uh, verse 5b down through verse 8 is the praise section, where John just bursts forth into praise. It's really fantastic. And then where we're going to be tonight is the Patmos section, which is verse 9 down to the end of the chapter. And that's where John tells of the details of his commission to write down the gospel uh, in these verses. And they're given to us here. Um, really been taken with verses 9 down through verse 20. And the reason I'm taking with it is it's not just information. One of the things you're going to find when you get into the Word is that it's not just a transfer of information from the pages of the book to you. It's beyond information. It's beyond facts. We're getting into truth. And I hope you would be able to come to distinguish the difference between those two. The difference between facts and truth. Okay? Truth is transforming. Truth is shaping. And so what you gather in verses 9 through 20 is truth. And you see it in, in for instance, I, I think you see it, basically, John, as a Christian man belonging to Jesus Christ, is speaking. And you, you kind of sense some things going on in his language. Just the way that he talks, it's just... It has to do with the kingdom of God that's living within him. The reign of God in his life. You can pick out some things in his language. And all of it has to do with the kingdom. So we walk through this whole thing. And in verse 9, I want to look with you specifically at uh, what we're calling kingdom character. If you want to know what a person who, li who literally belongs to the kingdom, and if you're a Christian, you guys, you belong to the kingdom. If you want to know what a, a person who belongs to the kingdom the kind of character that they have, you will see it in these verses, specifically in verse 9. Okay? And again, what we're talking about in terms of character, it's not what you do, it's who you are. Character is beyond activities. Character is the kind of person that you are. You see the person that John is. He's a representative of the kingdom. You see the kind of person he is in verse 9 by looking at some of his language. And I'm just going to walk you through it. Let me read verse 9 to you. This is how it reads. John writes, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering, in the kingdom, and the patient endurance 
that are ours in Jesus Christ was on the island of Patmos because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay? You're going to literally, as what's spilling out of his mouth as he's writing this, you're, you're going to get a glimpse of the character of what a, a, a saved individual looks like. If you belong to Jesus, this is going to be your character. The first focus of the whole sentence, and if I can get in some of the grammar with you, is that the whole focus of the grammar is on this statement in Jesus. He says, I am John, your, and he says this, your brother and companion, and I'm in the suffering and kingdom and impatient endurance that are ours in Jesus Christ. So the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance, okay, being the brother and the companion, all of that takes place in Jesus. Okay? Everything is bracketed in Jesus. That tells us that if you are going to be a Christian, your life is focused on... Starts with a J, ends with Jesus. Jesus. If you are a Christian, your life is focused on Jesus. If you're a Christian, your life is all about Jesus. If you're a Christian, you are filled with Jesus. You're always talking about Jesus. You praise Jesus. You'd say, well, hey, I hear you, and you don't have to be so, you know, Jesus about the whole thing. But you understand, when you get in the Bible, uh, let me give you an example of this, one of the examples of, um, turn over with me, if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to have you do this just a couple times tonight, to the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles open, it's just a couple books back. Right after Philippians. I want you to look at verse 1. And, and I was going to also have you look at 1 Corinthians. Do you know in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions Jesus ten times in the first nine verses? The name Jesus. It's almost like the whole entire book is about him. It's almost like all he wants to say is about him. And then you come into chapter 2, uh, Paul writes that I, gave, I preached Jesus Christ. I only knew one thing among you, and that is Jesus Christ. He's talking about Jesus. I, if you really want to know how I feel, I think, you can, I think you can identify Christians by how much they talk about Jesus. I'm not talking about how much they talk about church. I'm not talking about how much they talk about spiritual things. I'm not talking about how much money they give. I, I, I really believe you can judge. And it's not bad to judge, you understand. It's okay to judge. Not the world, but we can judge each other. Discern. You can literally judge a person's spiritual temperature, if you want to use that kind of language, by how much they're talking about Jesus. How much they're into Jesus. And what Paul says in Colossians, uh, starting at verse 15, I'm just going to read a couple of these verses going down, just a few. Listen to what he says. He says, He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and, all, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness well in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by uh, making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, 
established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven in which I, Paul, have become a servant. So if you were to boil down the gospel as Paul talks about, and you boil it down to a statement, it's about him. Uh, I really, I don't want you walking out of here, and you have heard me say this, and maybe not up here, but if I've counseled you up here, I don't want to see you walk out of here this week saying, I'm going to make it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to be the person he wants me to be. I, what, I, what you should be saying is, Jesus, I'm not leaving this place without you. I, I, when I walk out of this place, it's you and I. I'm dragging you home. In the, it's, it's easy to live for you here, but I'm dragging you at home in the middle of that mess that I call life. I'm dragging you at home right in the middle of my job. Hey, you're coming home and facing my dad with me. You're coming home and facing that situation that I'm having with my mom. I'm inviting you to every movie I watch, every date that I go on, every music that I listen, all the music that I listen to. The, the number one focus, go back with me to Revelation, and it's really important for me to harp on that if you want to use the word harp. Because all of what John is saying is in Jesus. The characteristics of the kingdom are in Jesus. Now, I want to look with you just really quickly at some of the aspects that he says. Uh, we're going to skip brother and companion because that has to do with another message uh, which has to do with the kingdom community. Tonight we're looking at the kingdom character. And there are three aspects. <laughs> you're going to like this. I think you're going to like this. There are three aspects to Christian character. You ready? You look pathetic. You look like you've been in a week of camp. There are three aspects. <laughs> Not convincing. There are three aspects. There are three aspects to the character of a Christian. Yes. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Now listen to what he says. What he says is, I, John, I am your brother and your companion. And what am I companion in? Suffering, kingdom, and patient endurance that belong to us in Jesus. Hey, the kingdom's all about Jesus. We're wrapped up in Jesus. We're living for Jesus. I take Jesus home with me. Jesus and I hang out. Jesus and I go to the gym. Jesus and I talk together. I drag Jesus in the midst of everything. I am in Him and He is in me. What makes me a Christian is not what I do. What makes me a Christian is He lives inside of me and reproduces His life through me. I am into Jesus. It's good stuff. Now, if you are in Jesus, there's three characteristics that are going to be displayed in your life. Not things you do, but three characteristics in your life. They're called, He names them. Suffering. Isn't that fun? <laughs> Suffering. Kingdom and patient endurance. Well, look at the middle one first, okay? It's kingdom. What, when you think of kingdom, and I, we work with this with your parents' age group, when you talk about kingdom, what do you think of? If I were to talk to you about, hey, um, the kingdom of God, what's some things that come to your mind? Loud. Big castle. Big castle. Oh, talking about my house in, in, the, in the heavens. Yes, big castle. Actually, I have a big golden motor home. I'm not going to get a house. <laughs> Castles. What else? What do you think of? Yes. Eternal life. Someone said streets of gold. That kind of stuff. What else do you think of? Aslan. Yes. Big pearly gates. We think of a place. We're going to a kingdom. Do you, and this, this, this shocked me as well. Do you know that in the book of Revelation, when the kingdom, that word kingdom is talked about, it's not talked about as a place. There is a place like a city, and you and I are physical be beings, and we're going to have to live somewhere. But th that where is never called kingdom. 
you know what's, you know what, uh, when the word kingdom is used, do you know what it refers to? You and me. That when you became, when you become a Christian, what happens inside of you, character stuff, not what you do, but character stuff, what happens to you is you become a kingdom. You would say, where'd you pick that up? In this first chapter. Go over with me to verse 5. Right in the middle of it. And it's, it's, it probably broke down in a paragraph. It begins with, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He says, listen, God has loved us and he's freed us from our sins by his blood. And the purpose of that is so that he could make us to be a kingdom. It says it right there in verse 6. He's freed us from our sins by his blood, by his blood, by his blood, and he's made us to be a kingdom, not take us to a kingdom. You are created to be a kingdom. You know what the Greek definition of the word kingdom is? Kingdom. But uh, the idea of the kingdom, the idea of the kingdom is a place of absolute rule and authority under a king. When you become a Christian, oh, think about this, not what you do, who you've been made to be. You have been made to be a place of absolute rule and authority underneath the king. That means every emotion, every desire, every activity, anything going on in your life, the inside of your body, you are under the absolute and rule and authority underneath a king. Okay? You've been made to be a kingdom. So when he says... Hey, an aspect of being in Jesus is suffering and kingdom and patient endurance. What he says means kingdom is that when you get in Jesus, you become the place of his absolute rule and authority. Is that going on in your life tonight? You want to know what freedom from sin means back in verse 6? Let the full capacity of your body come under his authority. Several of you have come up to me and said, my sex drive is out of control. And I said, welcome to the club. Did you know that everyone who's ever been born, their sex drive is out of control? One of the first things I did as a Christian is I came to Jesus and said, hey, my bodily drives are out of control. Would you move in my life and control what I was never able to control? Because self-control is a fruit of the... Galatians chapter 5. Jesus, my emotions are out of control. Would you come in my life and control what I was never able to control? Jesus, my eating habits, my attitude, my desire to fit in. Name it. See, my body is out of control. Literally, what it means to be a Christian is that I become a place of His absolute rule and authority. In Jesus, I become a place of His absolute rule and authority. Isn't that powerful? Okay, that's the first one. Now, the other ones are... <laughs> are a little more encouraging. For instance, hey, we become a place of His absolute rule and authority, but He says we also become a place of suffering. Become a place of suffering. Do you know that if you get all wrapped up into Jesus, you're going to become a person who suffers? You know what the Greek word is for suffers? Tribulation. You're going to become in your body, not what you're going to do, you are going to become in your body a literally a place of tribulation. You know what I mean by tribulation? Uh, the word tribulation is used in this book to describe what Jesus went through on the cross. In this book, the book of Revelation, tribulation describes what they went through. Um, about, I wrote down the exact time. 
Five to ten years after the death of Jesus, the Roman Empress, Empress, <laughs> the Roman Emperor Claudius, I think is how you pronounce his name, he was so tired of Christians that in 49 A.D. he expelled all of them immediately from Rome. He said, pack your bags and get out. That's when people started to live in sewers. They started to live in sewers. Then about, oh, five to ten years after that, a guy named Nero came along. He was a pyro guy, burnt half of Rome to build his palaces, blamed it all on the Christians. He put Paul to death, and Christians continued to go on hiding, living in caves, all of those kinds of things. Finally, it came to the, uh, the rule of Domitian, which was about 40 to 50 years after the death of Jesus. And Domitian, in Roman antiquity, is this, his reign is, as rule was literally described as a reign of terror against Christians and Jews. Some of the things he did is he literally put on a hunt for Christians. When he'd find them, he would strap them to poles and use them to light his gardens. He would dress them up in like animal clothing and let them, you know, put them in the arenas and... That's the definition of tribulation. Now, you're going to think to yourself, hold on. So if I become Jesus, you're, people are going to grab me and strap <laughs> No, No, that's not going to happen. Because we live in the place where... We live in a country where they won't allow that. Okay, Maybe other countries, if you serve Jesus. What he is saying, and again, it's not an activity. If you get all wrapped up into Jesus, literally, you're going to have tribulation going on inside of your body. What does Jesus say? Anyone who wishes to be my disciple, he must take up his... Deny himself and follow me. Which means, Paul says, hey, I beat my body. Hey, I bring my body under control. I allow, literally, I do not, my mind, hear me guys, my mind does not make my decisions. This makes my decisions. I don't live according to my emotions. I have, some people think, and you're going to, I'm not that much older than you, although you probably think that, but you don't, you don't grow out of what you're going through. All of us have temptations. All of us have longings. All of us have feelings that go contrary. All of us are going against the grain of our, of our, of our culture. See, what it means to be a Christian is that I literally have come to a point in my life, I don't trust the way that I feel. I have a track record of absolutely believing that I'm right about something and then turning around and finding out that I'm wrong. It's very seldom. But it's happened in the past. So I don't trust myself. I trust Him. And I, hey, I go through tribulation when I see gas prices going up. And I stop in to fill up my motorhome at seven miles per gallon. <laughs> I go through tribulation. And I have to allow my nerves, I have to allow my emotions, I have to allow, allow every capacity of my body to come under the authority of this that says stuff like, hey, I will call you and I will provide. That I'm the one who sets the plan and I give the provisions for the plan. Are you with me? And I'm, I'm tired of hearing, I don't have money to go to Olivet. I'm tired of hearing that. Is it expensive? <laughs> I have a plan and I have the provision of the plan. Every single time. And what you're going to war against, and, and I don't know how theologically correct this is, but I've blamed so many things on the enemy in my life when actuality, in actuality, I'm probably the greatest enemy I have. 
I'm probably the greatest enemy I have. So what he's talking about is the inward character. The inward character, what makes you a Christian, is that you are literally, you have turmoil going on inside of your body. Where? I'm not going live to live for myself. Hey, I'm not going to respond to myself. The character of a Christian says, I'm going to trust you. Okay? I am a place of absolute rule and authority. I am a place of absolute rule and authority. And I'm going to receive opposition, not only in my world, but taking up in your cross, Jesus sweat drops of blood. You understand? So I want to encourage you, hey, I, and personally, I think one of the characteristics of knowing you're a Christian is that you're receiving opposition. Personally. I don't know how that fits into your theology, but he says it right here. The last thing that he says, and I think it's the most cool, is the word patient endurance. Okay? And literally, this is Sony, the word patient endurance, it's in here somewhere. The word patient endurance means pressure experience, experienced from evil. In other words, when I live in my world, and I receive outside pressure. Are you with me? As I live in my world, and I am a place of His absolute rule and authority, and I live in tribulation, okay? I live in tribulation. I've got turmoil going on in my life. There's pressure all around me. That is a characteristic of the kingdom. That is characteristic of the kingdom. And the word that we, in, that we uh, translate Patient endurance, which is the pressure, literally means it is a, it's a specific word. A quality of character. Hear this. By the way, and I don't know how much you're interested in this stuff, but there are two different words. In other words, he could have used one of two different words for patient endurance. Whenever you read in your Bible about uh, patiently enduring, it could be one of two different Greek words. One Greek word is used to describe self-restraint which means I'm going to resist. But that's an activity. It's not a character. The character trait of patient endurance is the word that he uses here. It's the Greek word hupomeno, and it means a quality of character of a person who, which does not allow one to suffer um, under circumstances or, or succumb under trial. In other words, literally what it means to be pa have patient endurance is there's something going on inside of me that does not allow me to break under pressure. There's been such a movement of God in my life that I do not break under I do not break under trial. I do not break under pressure. Now, if you remember what we talked about this week, um, again against activities over against or activities over against you know being a Christian, we looked at the Titus material. We looked at the qualities of a godly younger woman and the qualities of a godly younger man, and those things are not something that you do. Those things are the, are the quality of character of a person who's wrapped up in Jesus. Give me one for a woman. A woman is to be self-controlled. A woman is to be kind. A woman is to be pure. A woman is to be busy at home. Praise the Lord. A woman is to be subject to their husband. A man is to be self-controlled. He's to have integrity and seriousness. I'm serious. And soundness of speech. Those are not things that you do. That's not something you do. That is what's going to happen in your life if you get wrapped up into Jesus. That's what's going to happen in your life if you get wrapped up into Jesus. 
If you get wrapped up into Jesus and you become a place of His absolute rule and authority, you become a kingdom where tribulation is going on in your life. You are losing your life for the kingdom. You will be able to patiently endure. You will be able to patiently endure. Why? Because it is a product of Jesus being... You will not be able to break. You will not be able to break. Now, if this happens, the last part of the verse is... Uh, it reads... I was on the island of Patmos because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We talked about it's a person focus. It's a personal character, character traits inside of you. It literally will change your perspective. One of the things that I'm, uh, and I don't want to be offensive, and I know it's hard, and I know it's difficult, um, and I don't want to, I don't want to downplay. Hear me. I don't want you to be offended. I don't want to downplay what you're going through. I'm tired of victim language. You're not a victim. I'm tired of, well, hey, there's my favorite. That's easy for you to say. You didn't grow up in my home. You had a dad who loves you. You have a mom who spends time with you. You grew up in a household that has money. You didn't have this circumstance. You didn't have anybody molest you. You didn't have anybody rape you. You didn't have anybody take advantage of you. You didn't grow up in a foster home. Am I downplaying that stuff? Is that serious? Absolutely. But plain flat, the Bible says in Jesus, you are not a victim. You are not a victim. You are not that you do not have to be the product of your world. This, this will be the best news of, that you've ever heard if you accept this. You are not the product of your home life. I grew up in a home where my dad was an absolute jerk and beat the snot out of us. I've been put in the hospital as a young boy by my father. My mom gave birth to my sister with a broken jaw that was wired shut. I grew up in a home where we were so poor. I'm not trying to make it sound good, just telling you the truth. I grew up, you can check this out. Go try to prove me if wrong if I, you think I'm not telling you the truth. I grew up in a home where we were so poor, poor, I had to work a full-time job while I went through high school. So I, worked, I went to school from 8 to 3, and then I went from work to the gas station right down from our house, the Marathon Station that's tore down, that's no longer there, from 3.30 to 11.30. And I had excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. I find it interesting <laughs> that Paul, listen to this, listen to this. Paul says, I am a place of his absolute rule and authority. And that I'm in tribulation without and within. But I am patiently enduring. And he says, I'm on the island of Petmus. And I thought he would say, because that Nero is a jerk. <laughs> or it's Domitian, the king. Do you know that, uh, you know how John ended up on the island of Petmus? He was boiled alive in oil. They grabbed John and he was the last disciple alive. He was the leader of the church. Paul's dead. All the other 12, all the other 11 disciples, he's the 12th, are dead. Massive persecutions going on. People are living in caves. People are living in sewers. He's banished to the island of Patmos. They wanted to make an example. Tradition suggests that they wanted to make an example and break the back of the Christian community. How would they do that? Get a disciple and don't stop torturing him until he breaks. They boiled John alive in oil, waiting for him to break. And tradition says he preached from the pot. <laughs> I like him. Oh, what a guy. He preached from the pot. 
And when he never died, and they did some other things to him, and some of it's a little bit shady whether it actually happened or not, but when they couldn't get him to, uh, they couldn't get him to renounce Christ and he wouldn't die, they banished him to the island of Patmos and spread lies about him. You, when he, it's interesting, when he writes to the congregation, when he writes to these churches and says why he's on the island of Patmos, he doesn't even mention that. You know what he says? I'm on, the, I'm on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm right exactly where God wants me. And my comfort, my comfort is not the issue. What's best for me in my life is not the issue. Stop. You're not a victim. You're not a victim. And God's going to provide and He's going to provide a way out and there's a light at the end of the tunnel and you belong to Him. And Isaiah says, in the name of Jesus, there is no weapon formed against you that shall prosper. Ever. Ever. So you are not a victim. You cannot be broken if you're wrapped up in Him. You can get through anything if you're wrapped up in Him. In fact, I'll tell you that he's, he, is the only, he is the only answer that you have in your current circumstances. There are three character traits that are present in everyone living in the kingdom. They're a place of His absolute rule and authority. They live in tribulation because everything against life, all spiritual forces are wanting to tear us down and we walk out of that dude because there's something going on inside of us that cannot break. That there's such a change that happened in us we cannot break. That's why we can minister in any circumstance. That's why we stand up and say, Jesus, use me no matter what it takes. Use me no matter what it costs. Hey, I'm available. Um, my wife's not in here tonight, so I can talk behind her back. As I mature and grow in Jesus, one of the, some of the biggest champions in the church, and I'm not paid to say this, some of the biggest champions in the church are preacher's wives, pastor's wives. Uh, they take it on the chin more than the pastors do. My wife is the one who's stuck with the kids in the nursery. Uh, my, my wife is the one that loses all of her freedoms to minister for her kids. You're going to learn that when you have kids one day. In fact, I'm absolutely convinced that the more you grow in Christ, the more of your freedoms fall away for the sake of the gospel. And you drop this and you drop that and it's no longer about me, it's all about Him. Until one day you find yourself nailed on the cross and you say, hey, whatever it takes, you find yourself like a John the Baptist who's sitting in a dungeon cell waiting for his head to get cut off and he's saying, yes. Yes. I love you tonight, Jesus. I've been talking this week about what we're finding in your word. About the difference between doing Christian activities and being a Christian. And I hear it in the tone of John's voice. There's a character. There's character traits that are present in his life. And you hear him as he talks. Everything going on in his life is about you. He's on the island of Patmos because of your ministry. He's not a victim. And maybe you didn't cause it, but... He looks at it and says, Hey, the plan of God is being, unf is being unfolded in my life. And there's, he's not a victim. He's not complaining. He looks at his world and says, Maybe, maybe I've been put in this situation... Not for my better, but for His better. Jesus, I give you permission tonight and use me in any capacity you choose.
I want to be a place of your absolute rule and authority. I don't care what tribulation comes. I know I'll be able to endure as I lean on you. Let those not be things that I have to try to do. Let those be inherent in our relationship together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Uh, the brother's going to come and lead us in.